Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Tracy Wright, Conscious Parenting and Living Coach. She's shining clarity with compassion and understanding. You can find out more about her on consciouslyawesome.com. We also have Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. Let's have a great celebration for everyone who pulled together to make the Sense8 mural in San Francisco a reality. We have exceeded the fundraising goals by about $600. So that project will be moving forward. Thank you to Deirdre and Maximilian and everyone who came to help in the fundraising effort and everyone who donated. The extra money will be put into future murals. We do not have those details yet, but as they become available, we will share them with you. The idea is to make murals around the world for the Sense8 fandom and to help spread the Sense8 message. Remember that the I Am WeCon in Berlin is still in its fundraising effort, so be sure to head on over to GoFundMe and support the I Am Also a WeCon in Berlin, Germany. You can buy your tickets ahead through the fundraising effort. This will only be available to us if we meet the fundraising goals. So with a few weeks less, let's all pull together and support that project. We also have a new program coming up in September that I want to tell you about. As you know, my inspiration for creating the Live Sensate podcast and strong arming Zach to do it along with me is because when I watched Sensate, I saw such a perfect reflection of the teachings that I have offered to the world throughout the last 20 years. Those teachings, and I've mentioned it before, were combined four years ago into a very comprehensive program 
called the Consciously Awesome Program. And it allows you to integrate these concepts that we see and love in Sensate into your real daily life. They have such a direct correlation that I just know all of you will love this program. If you're interested, it is going to start in September. In taking this program, you can feel the cluster energy, manage your stress better, improve your relationships, connect to the world around you more intimately through your intuition and have that sense of team that the cluster really had, that sense of having soul energy there to navigate and to support. I know we watch this as a sci-fi and a fiction, but I think the reason that the fandom is so strong is that we know in our soul that it's closer to reality than we may live um, on our daily basis, but our soul knows that that's the way we could really live. Maybe not the tiny nuances, but the themes of it, the energy of it, the expression of it. This is a perfect art to help our souls remember how life is truly meant to be with beautiful, healthy, intimate relationships, navigating life, feeling a support system, enjoying all of the senses that we have here in the world. The core of this program is meditation. So I know a lot of you have talked about meditation. I've been asked a couple times to lead a meditation. This program uses the technique of meditation to help you reach the states of living in this consciousness, living that sensate life. So if you're interested in learning more about it, just give me a shout out on Twitter or Facebook. You can also email team at livesensate.com. Let me know you're interested and we'll just go from there with some more details. All right. And if you have any questions, you can reach me at any of those sites as well. All right, let's get on with today's episode. All right, let's dig into this episode of season one, episode 12, titled I Can't Leave Her, directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski, and written by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. I Can't Leave Her. We really only have two plots going on right now, aside from the supporting of each other, two main plots. One is Riley, and we know the title relates to Riley not being able to leave her memory of her baby. And then we have Wolfgang, and that's the only other one that has a plot, you know, really deep into in this episode. And he tries to say goodbye to Kala. So I think I can't leave her kind of uh, fits for both of the plots that are going on. When I first ran into this episode and I saw the title, my first thought was, Will can't leave Riley. There you go. So I think, you know, like always, there's one line and it is Riley's line. But Kala does say, so at one point, Wolfgang says, I think I've come to say goodbye. And then she said, I'm not ready to say goodbye. Same theme, not the same words, but... um, 
Yes, yeah, so we've got some not wanting to leave going on and grieving yep. going on as a theme. The other big thing that happens in this one is everybody starts to work together to get Riley out of the BPO. So some big stuff happening here. We saw some themes with this that we're going to talk about as we go along. Actually, one of the, this has not happened to us before, but we wanted to use, we want to use a clip from the very, very beginning. This is what opens this, the episode. So I think we'll just dive into the clips and talk as we go along, as we move through this episode. So in the beginning of this episode, we have Will is a young fellow, little young man, and he's in with a... A counselor of sorts getting some help. You like the snow? You know, for some people, snow brings on a very specific feeling. Uh, some love it. Mm, it feels clean and pure, like a fresh start or a beginning. For others, it's frightening. Cold and silent and isolating. What are you thinking about when you look at the snow? That I'm going to have to shovel it. All right. So, Sheila, you had some cool thoughts on this scene? Yeah. So, um, let's go back to my early days as a child therapist. Because whenever they depict therapists on television, I'm always a little frustrated. Because I, I think um, people are trying to do better with them, but there's always a little rapper. Maybe I just have... My idea of how everyone should be a therapist, and it doesn't fit with the rest of the world. But anyway, I, I do want to laugh um, at Will's response that I think I'm thinking about shoveling it, because that coming from the ther therapist point of view, that is such a realistic statement when you're trying to take a child deep and they're not going to do it and they're just like going to push it back in your face and not give you anything like, yeah. You know, you want to go deep. I'm just thinking about shoveling it. So on the surface, very, very much taking me back into my earlier days as a child and family therapist. But in this, because this is art and this is a masterpiece and we get to see through time into the future and into the past and all over the place through this art, it has a different meaning to me. So when we think about the full episode, and as you're going to come along on this journey, you're going to remember that this is the episode that they get Riley out of the BPO, and it's hard for her to leave. We get all the flashbacks of her baby and how she gave birth and the baby died and the pain that she has around that, all in the snow. So we've got the layers of foreshadowing, but if we think about this as real people... Will, in his childhood, is already um, in that sense of timelessness, already picking up on Riley's relationship to Snow, just through this dialogue we have that set up, and her, her trauma with it, her fear with it. And then the cleansing, and sometimes people find Snow cleansing. I thought that was interesting. I mean, well, I get it, because sometimes winter can look really muddy until that soft snow comes over. But a new beginning um, is also what Will gets when he comes to that precipice in the snow with Riley later on in his life. 
So I think it's really setting up the episode in that way. And then, and this is because of you, Zach, and your understanding about Will and his relationship to Riley later on, that I was able to springboard from that and say the shoveling it like he does, in a sense, have to go and help Riley clean up the mess of her snowy memory in the future. Right. And this scene, too, is really important because we're seeing like um, just in this one small scene, it's about three minutes and we only got about 30 seconds of a clip. But it's very telling about Will's character. Like he's he's thinking he needs to be responsible for cleaning up the snow, right? Right. So he's gonna he has a sense of responsibility that's just kind of been built into him since childhood. So yeah, he is gonna have to go clean it up, clean up that mess in the snow, so to speak. And the clip goes on and it prefaces um, the savior behavior. Right, because the therapist tells him, you know, that sometimes you're trying to help and he, he references his father being an alcoholic, which we didn't really know. There's the we know that he is in the later years, but to me the the story that everybody was talking about was that that alcoholism came later. Well, I think right around the Sarah thing, so Yeah, that might have been referenced. That he couldn't maybe that he couldn't but Will wouldn't already have alcoholic behavior. So my guess from that one therapist view is that that's an indication that the alcoholism was an issue for Will's childhood because he was already formed um, if it was already diagnosed as alcohol at that point versus um, you know dad's drinking a lot because he can't cope with this current issue right so that's his dad aspect right but then the the nobody else around will can understand that there's this little girl right that he can talk to giving him messages and he's been trying to save her right he's trying to save the little girl and trying to make the family feel better that's why he went to visit them so he is trying to make everyone better and of course now moving into my second career (laughs) of being a spiritual communicator really pissed off at that therapist for basically teaching Will that he made up the spirit. And that's not it, just the the therapist or the character of the therapist. Um, It's our society that, you know, like, we do that. Why, Why are we so committed as a society to indoctrinate children with the belief that nothing beyond the physical exists. It just makes no sense. Well, I I mean, it does make sense to me because I would say a bulk of people don't have these experiences to relate to. So the only time we, we can we can talk about them as if they're clinical diagnoses of these experiences because somebody's mentally ill and that's just not the case I, that's my personal perspective yeah, society but, can't relate to these experiences but society can't relate because at some point and i don't know how far back we go and i can't um philosophize this completely but um the dark ages maybe <laughs> some point because everybody comes in being able to see like 
That's the thing. Babies see. We don't, it, it, you don't lose your veil. We let it be imagination. We let them have their imagination and we don't try to restrain it until they get to be about four or five years old. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you know, like they can have the magic of Santa Claus and Christmas and angels are with you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is your friend. He loves you. And then, and I'm sure it's in other religions too. And then all of a sudden, okay, grow up and get real. Jesus can't really talk to you. Angels can't really be next to you. Santa is not real. <laughs> the Easter bunny is not real. Oh, I'm sorry if you're listening and I just ruined that for you. I'm well, so it's sorry. not true because it's all real. So it's just the society that, I mean. And then we have people that come into the world and do miraculous things like, oh, I don't know, Joan of Arc. And she did amazing things. And she was listening to voices. Yeah. Right? All the and amazing then, people listen to voices. But later in history do we revere her. But then she was one crazy person. And that's what we do. That's what humans do. Right. Because they can't relate. Or they're scared of it. Yeah. Maybe. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah. So anyway, Soapbox again. If we could want, if we want to change the world in one generation... We could do that by taking away that story and letting the children have their full capacity. But for Sheila, power. if we did that, how would we know if they're sick or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't, as a society, want to heal this world in one generation because that scares the f out of us. But I'm just saying, I came down to earth. I'm telling you one thing: you want to heal this place, this is what you do. Okay, out of here. Goodbye. <laughs> So back to Will. I put two kids into the world like that. So, you know, maybe they'll multiply. (laughs) Maybe they will. We'll know in a couple of years, I imagine. Um, Will and the savior mentality, because, you know, his his whole archetype and character is a police officer and protector. It's kind of layered in this scenario because we do have the stereotypical family setting that the therapist knows about and disregarding the visions. And then... We have um, the visions that really are true, and he's he has to deal with that, right? Because nobody can relate to him either, so he's got to feel really alone. But anyway, this whole... Th- and this- she actually says to him to shush at that point, so I don't think right. he shut her out. But that's cool, too, because it's in the mm. snow, and that's si- to me, snow is silencing. Oh, that's that's cool. I didn't pick that up. Yeah, I like snow. For me, in that particular moment, it was like when Will knew that maybe it's okay not to trust people that are that think they want to help him like Mm -hmm. maybe people who are quote experts really aren't experts right because he he listened to her over him so now we see where will also as a police officer he blurs the lines a lot right and so we go from this cop who's who's you know saving this kid from the ghetto and then he's doing a deal with the kid from a ghetto and then he's breaking the, you know, he's breaking the code and doing, using his dad's passwords and doing all these things he shouldn't be doing. And then, um, he's on heroin for a quite well, a long he's time. On, he's on the, 
oh, whoops. <laughs> but we said way back in the way back machine that we will have spoilers. So I know, but we've been trying not we, to. We're really trying to stay on point here. Okay, but. so if you are coming along one by one with us, you now have a little peek, but you don't know why or what happens or how it all plays out. Yay! I'm sure <laughs> if you zoom in on the boat at the very end of this episode, you zoom in really oh. hard and you see those vials of medicine I, I'm just guessing they're either morphine or liquid oxy. Right. Well, we do know. So it's not like a huge spoiler. At this point, he learns that to block whispers, he needs to... We didn't to, know what substance he was using. Or, or how long he was going to use right. it. Right. But my point is, he was a cop. Right. And, and now, he, he, now the, he has to live. He right. has to literally survive by doing drugs. Like, what the fuck? Right. Right? Like, yeah. It's, it's very twisted. Well, and then going back to the Sarah and the therapist, who do does genuinely want to help him, um, I, I'm seeing it also as Jonas, and like that's when it is what you're saying is just one more extension of it. That's when he does learn to trust himself and to question authority and question people who are trying right. to help him, which uh, Jonas emphasizes for him. And then he ends up having that relationship with Jonas of, you know, questioning his authority, questioning his support and tuning into himself all along, which is cool. Like it starts in his childhood. So I really think this is a big scene for Will's character, yeah, for us to learn a yeah. lot about Will in three minutes. And then when we add the Riley stuff onto it and the we'll go into the scene with Riley, the savior mentality that you talked about, the wanting to go save Riley and some of the energy around that. And you notice something really cool in there. And that is that when they first touch they're flashing between rooms, including the room that Sarah was um, lobotomized in. Yep, it was a very cool scene. Very cool. So, because we're, now we're talking at the very end of the episode where Wills comes into B- BPO and he touches Riley for the first time in the bed. And then this is a really cool scene because. Riley and Will, when he touches her, they actually switch places. Right. So it's Will is the one who's in the bed, drugged up and feeling the way, and vice versa. And then they they flash between um, the both of them as children. Right. And quick. I think that, and that's kind of what I was springboarding into. Sarah, that room. Riley, the children. You know, the child. And um, we, you know, we don't know who Sarah is, but what role she plays, or is she a conduit for him to be connecting with Riley? We don't know. Um, probably there's more than that. But you can see now that the two of them have been on some level connected since childhood. That's my interpretation. And then that moment, to me, we're going into, again, my my background of the twin flame and that intense relationship. So within the cluster, um, the the two that kind of uh, Riley and Will represent some of that, um, that twin flame union, as my language would have used, and so do Kala and Wolfgang. And those are the two groups that are uh, the two sets that are really playing out the theme here today, but that touch, and I think I talked about it in the episode when they touched and they weren't even physically there, 
But that touch when time stands still and you're, you are, like that is what the twin flame is. It's the ultimate uh, cluster energy. And when they touch, they are each other. There is no separation. So incredibly depicted. I don't know where the, the writers, I don't know their background or their experience, but somebody knows something in there because that couldn't have been more visually um, depicting my experience of that. Somebody probably had some experience with that, I'm guessing. I would guess that. (laughs) To have that good of a direction. Um, For for me, it really, I felt like Will and Riley in the scene is they're they're bound together by fate in a way. And their Mm -hmm. fate would be both of them to overcome the the savior complex and and, um, the trauma that Riley went through. Yeah, I think together. I I would just say I think that in a way they're both. Uh, well, the savior complex can't exist without the victim complex. And at right. the end of this episode, um, when Riley is holding Will, and then she gets to move a little bit into the savior because she's she gets to save, and he gets to be in a sense the he is still the savior because he's using it to go save people. But then she's got to caretake and take care of him and so in a sense I was thinking that it's part of the healing process of that savior mentality is to experience both sides of it and allow that and I I see a little bit of that coming in there too yeah it's really cool about this scene as as they're touching and you're watching the scenes change behind them so they're changing places and and stuff and then they kind of go back through childhood and back through the moments they've had. And then what's really cool about this scene, in my opinion, is Will actually lifts Riley off the table where all the lobotomies happen. So it's like he's he's actually fulfilled saving that person in that room. That's what I saw. And that's how he was fulfilling that. Um, because instead of chasing Sarah, he could save Riley. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what I saw. And it's it flashes really fast. So if you're not paying attention, you might not if you didn't rewind it, you might not go, oh, that I know what that room is. Right. It took me a minute to figure out where that room was. But um, so anyway, I thought it was really cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I, I did not pick up on that right away. And and I thought that was really cool when you noticed it. And I think we do that in life, right? Like we repeat relationships with other people. We repeat situations. And, you know, people say that, you know, if you don't work out your father, daughter, you know, energy, you're going to go marry your father. and Or son and, and a, mother or yeah. whatever the, you know, we all have our patterns. That right. We or, you know, I mean, I used to work with domestic violence victims and it's like if, yes, you didn't, we're not saying anyone deserves to get beaten. And if we don't change your relationship to the victim and abuser relationship, then you're going to repeat this um, again. So uh, that idea that we play it out with multiple people until we resolve an issue within ourselves is yeah, and it doesn't even have to be people. It can be money. It can oh, be yeah. addiction. I mean, there's so many different human behaviors that we kind of have to look into think, as far I, as patterns yeah. go for us to... I think oh. of it as spiraling, 
up a mountain and sometimes it's like, oh my God, are we here again? I took care of this. What am I doing here? But if you look at the perspective, you're at a much higher level and you're moving into mastery, even though it feels like life repeats itself. Yeah, sometimes it feels like, for me anyway, I'm like, this is this pattern will never change. I've had that. I've had those thoughts, and eventually, years later, it changes, and I'm like, "Hallelujah!" <laughs> so, in the if we skip back a little bit to in the BPO, and and Riley's actually having a near death um, experience, and she's she's facing her past, and she's having a new beginning, and we've got Irsa in there. Um, and it even feels like Angelica and Jonas throughout this are kind of encouraging them to just kill themselves. Um, well, that's what they knew what to do. Yeah. Because it works. <laughs> it seem, it works. Right. It stops it. And that's all they knew. But And that's what makes this cluster different. Because they know, they learn, or they hang in there until they can learn something different. Or they just choose not to give in, right? To, right. Let's find another way. Let's keep right. going. Like this, yeah. I, I refuse. So many times do we hear this throughout the, the seasons, and then they're just like, nah, I don't think so. I refuse to give up. Right. And they refuse to give up on each other, right. which is yep. really important. Yeah. So that's kind of intense with Riley going through it and suspicious... And at one point during it, Jonas says that they have someone in the BPO. So that's a big... Um, Who is it? Someone's going to have... Someone has a heart attack, to, and that's how they get her out. So we do see that there is, you know, you know I love Jonas. We're seeing a little good in him. We're seeing something's going on. He's not just straight out working for whispers. So uh, something happens. And then they turn. That still does be decided by me. <laughs> um, but there's different things with that that I want to talk about. But I think in the middle of all this, we have a little bit of a comic relief. And I think we have that clip. So let's, here it is. let's comic relief here. <laughs> Lido. Don't worry. Do I know you? Yeah. We had sex. What? Oh, uh, it, it, that was very special. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, it. we're on a clock here, fellas. Follow me. <laughs> yeah, that was super funny. Yeah. Brian does a great job there. It's an awesome, awesome line. And I think we just picked it. Mostly because it's funny. Right. <laughs> we wanted to hear it again and again and laugh with you guys with it. But, you know, because this is what we do, I will take it a little bit deeper. I like it also because I think even as um, viewers, sometimes we forget because there's a lot of talk about the orgies, the orgies in Cincy. And there are no physical orgies. This is not sex and it is sex and that's kind of what will is saying it's something more than it's something different it's in a whole other category when you open up to creation energy and allow that flow to move between people and zach is just looking at me like he's laughing and saying i'm 
making a video. But no, it's really true. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if that's what Will's trying to say. <laughs> well, oh, I think he was trying to say. I thought he actually said, well, it wasn't really sex because he didn't really like that's a fantasy, right? Like that's someone in your head. Like, so if you if you identify, say, as Will, as heterosexual, and then you're suddenly in this energetic orgy with both sex and and Leto saying, yeah, we had sex. And he's like, yeah, that's not exactly someone's in your head. Like that's someone watching your fan. It's like when your fantasies meet, uh, you know, you run in and meet, and they're not even meeting in the physical yet. They're just talking to each other for the first time. So anyway, I think it's cool. And I do think it's really, really, really important. And I do think, even though it was funny, that the writers do want us to remember that the sex is something different than the sex that our world often thinks of. It's something more. It's special. It is special. (laughs) So while all this is going on, and and there is a little bit more to talk about with Riley um, and their escape. But while this is all going on, the only other real plot that's moving in action is Wolfgang going in and killing his uncle. So again, we watch how the, the scenes that they pick, the storylines relate to each other. And in a sense, Riley has to shovel clean up the snow from the past riley has to um let go of her past and find find a way to get herself out of that so she can be free to love or to show up for love will is doing the same thing in a way by going in and you know violently murdering a whole I don't know, 18 people? You mean Wolfgang? Yeah, what did I say? You said Will. Will's just all over the place. Oh, you know what? There's a scene, too, when I mixed those up when I was watching it the other day. So that's actually, yeah, here's me trying to um, cover up a mistake. (laughs) But, uh, okay, so I made a mistake. But I actually was blending Will and Wolfgang and their storylines a little bit when we were watching this episode last night, too. So I do think that that we're being shown some of the similarities that are going on here with them, because Wolfgang has a savior mentality, too. And he's always looking out for Felix. And he, we think, like whatever went down in the family, he couldn't save his mom. He's killing the uncle to say now or to save them, his life and even Kala. Like, cause he said in the last episode, like this is to save you. Cause they'll get to everyone I love. So I don't know. There's some combinations of that going on to me, but um, it's interesting. Cause he sees himself as a monster. He, and speaking of domestic violence, I mean, that's what he w- he was in domestic violence, I think. Like he said, we watched him get beat up, like abused by his father. And ridiculed and just, yeah. his dad's a big bully, big thug. Yeah, so there's stuff going on there. And he's mad as his uncle for never helping him. If my interpretation of that line, when he kills him. 
But he says, my father was a monster, and you're a monster, and I'm a monster. And then he turns to Kala after shooting him and says, this is why you have to marry Rajan. So I think that's a big line. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have Wolfgang. He's a, he, he's a gangster. Like, he kills people. He steals. Like, why? What? What about that would make you think you're not a monster? Right. He's good at fighting. Well, because like in his heart, he also knows he does it for love. So that's the paradox of him, right? Because I think he. I don't. I think he does. He think. I think he knows he lives like a monster. But I. I think this is why everyone loves Wolfgang is because they see the good in him. But the truth is, they're good in everybody. You know. Right. Well, you know. I, again, for me, Wolfgang, in in anybody who grows up in a particular environment, such as Wolfgang's, like, you, they're just kind of this common lore, uh, in in the non-gangster world or under underground world is you know, you can't really get out of that stuff right like once you're in you're always in it's really hard and it depends on what level of mafia or gangster elements you're in if you're tattooed and all this kind of stuff you can move somewhere else but it might follow you around you know that kind of thing so and this we see this when even Wolfgang's headed into the mansion. Like there is he looks He was born into Right. This. He was there's no he could run, but he's gonna be running and he's running from the same problem or he can confront this problem and snuff it out or die. Like that's for right. for him, he's backed up against the wall. And the only way for him to get out of this situation and on the other situations that he's had in his life, right? Like the bullies, they're gonna sit there and bully him until you stand up for yourself. Right. So and then Felix came and backed him up, but he stood up for Felix and took on those boys and stuff. So, I mean, it's just the, it's a yeah. different culture and things. So for me, that, that's just kind of my perspective is he was born into this and this is how he knows to solve problems and it works and he's really good at it. What I found interesting um, is his uncle. Man, what a fucking dick this guy is, in my opinion, because he says to him, how could you how could you do this to your own uncle? And yet. He's trying to revenge his son, but does not take in consideration what his son did to Wolfgang. Like that, that doesn't even cross their minds. Like, oh yeah, I, I'm sorry, bro. I, I'm a bad guy. I didn't mean to do that. No, it's, it's always I want to take what's mine, and you're, you're wrong. So there's, a, that's why the fight continues because nobody secedes to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe I messed up. I, I should take a step back. But that's not the world they live in. Right. right. And his uncle just like throws that little bit of manipulation. And I would have shot the dude in the face. Too. I was like, what do you mean me betraying my uncle? Like you, you just stood around most of my life. You didn't take care of my dad. And now you want to kill me because your son came after me and shot my best friend. Like, seriously, like I would be angry, right? <laughs> really angry. Right. And I think that, um, yeah, that's that conditional family, you know, like that. Right. It works when it works in my favor. Exactly. That's how the law goes, you know, the family law. Yeah. But interestingly, I liked that. Um, what one of the things I really like, and it's just a tiny quick scene when um, Will and Riley are escaping the BPO and the helicopter's up and shout out to Neats because she's the one that figured out the weather. And I'm doing that because 
I'm going to take responsibility when I mess up because back when we had Michael on the first time, I was like, Bug does all the work. Neats is cool, but she doesn't really do much. But she does. I've been noticing more of the magic that she weaves. She may not be like the ultimate hacker, but she does. She has this incredible way of thinking outside the box and, um, and being creative and putting pieces together. She is and she does it quickly, if you notice. So she's yeah. like, oh, look, like they're in the middle of this like quick fix that they need. And she comes up with it. So there's really no time to like celebrate that so much, except yeah, for when, just, yeah. when Nomi's like, oh, I love you so much or whatever, you know. Right. So I just had to take responsibility for that one. But they're escaping and she says that he has to keep going like uh, into the into the clouds and and uh whispers is like you can't do it because they bring the helicopter down enough so that they could kill everyone and he's like you can't do this and will's like you oh can't i kill yeah. us all yeah That's he says he you said. can't kill us all and will will says um but i know somebody who can yeah he says i can't but i know someone who can and and then wolfgang comes in so one of the things I love about that is that as humans, we have a hierarchy in our mind of like good attributes and good traits that we bring to the puzzle and bad traits. And I think that um, being cool with killing and killing yourself and not caring if you live or if other people live, that detachment from life um, as sacred, in a sense, uh is not a trait that we tend to um, celebrate, but it has its role because when we work so hard not to allow death to occur, sometimes people end up doing really bad things or hurting people in some ways, even just trying to stay alive. So that balance of life and death and that non-attachment that may be seen as... Um, needing therapy in some ways has its gifts too. And I think it's about finding, you know, when we look at the cluster, really the cluster is one person, right? And we don't like to admit that all those aspects are within us. All the different things that get portrayed, the victim and the savior, the killer and the doctor or the scientist, you know, the healer. Yeah. Whatever that is, the, the fighter, the lover, the lover, like they're all, all those aspects are in a part of some way. Yeah. And they're in every person. This is, this is life just is, and it's the human beings who assign this isness value, right? So it's just our projection of morality onto this thing that we are born into and it's all kind of really made up and it just really depends on what society and what culture has what values that they place on everything so i I think it's great to see that for you to bring that up sheila because it just is what it is and um in the the ultimate truth of things there is no judgment when we're all said and done with this human experience. Right. And that's one of the things that um, the society 
the the cultural stories that we tell ourselves has not really that's not the story we tell ourselves right we tell ourselves we're going to be punished and all this kind of shenanigans and it and it holds us in guilt and and many other things when you know it's life's not so black and white there isn't this this judgment and such so anyway i just like that you brought that up like we it just is and it's not good and it's not bad it's just an outcome to a situation and you move to the next situation and have more outcomes until you you get off the roller coaster called life anyway yeah what i liked about the um well not what i liked about again with these bad guys being dicks like whispers is trying to manipulate will and he, when he's whispering in his ear and he's telling him all about will and how he's a good guy and it's like i would've been like whispers i'm saving eight people like eight people's lives or at least six if I crash into you. Like I'm not going to kill us all. I'm going to save some people doing it, right? So it's just like how can you hold that like if I was Will? <laughs> right, but when we're looking at it as a story to us as the viewers and those archetypes and when that part of us uh, nags to attach to one part of our personality that we want to be, um, that we want to be perceived as, that we that we want to feel because right. we like it better, then then that which we may consider moral um, can be our downfall. Where in that very same scene, that which we would consider immoral becomes the strength. Right, and how many people would will have saved? If he killed whispers in that moment, how many more clusters would he would have saved if he killed whispers yeah. in that moment? Right. We so would not I'm, have had I, a season three. Right. Maybe it's a, I don't it's know. a good thing. I wasn't driving that ambulance. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing with Will is he was, well, I guess he wasn't really willing to kill himself um, because he wasn't physically. Ah, Wolfgang again. See, they're blurring for me. So Caffius pops in earlier and helps with the starting of the van and um and i'm i'm jumping to that because i was you know i was falling for the whole sharing it's will now it's wolfgang it's caffius and i just wanted to i think i might have said it in the beginning i just want to say like i'm pretty sure this is and i think it has to be because will hasn't met leto yet right but i think this is the first time that we see the whole cluster come together for one task, and that's to get Riley... Safe and sound. Yeah, and so she becomes that conduit. Well, both of them still. Okay, and now just an offshoot, that car scene cracked me up. I loved that uh, Neats and Nomi knew... They used the psychology of men to get him in but yeah, that's good, yeah, yeah. that was really funny because they just get a nice car and they make it like i'll smoke in and then yeah and then it's like yeah guys can't resist it you'll get in and that was like a just a very funny like uh, it, it was good that was just a great line that was like you know think about a writer's room when they came up with that they were all like cracking up i can i can totally see the writer's room with that one that was so fun. And then, so there's another thing that I noticed. There's a couple things I noticed when they're leaving the mountain, uh, in the mountains. And I noticed it in the BPO. And 
Um, without any spoilers, when we were doing some of the finale interviews, we talked about the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain and how um, typically or the body is perceived. I get that kind of confused because I guess the right side of the body, the brain is controlling the left side. So it's kind of a, an infinity sign in there too. But typically... When you're looking at metaphysics, the left side is considered the divine feminine. It's considered the heart center, the limbic resonance, that emotional center. And um, twice in their escape, they had him turn to the left. And I know that I could be just like making mountains out of molehills here, but I don't think, I don't know. I think that that was chosen either divinely inspired because when they leave the BPO, they go towards the left. And, and then when they're turning in the mountain and end up going down the road where Li- Riley lost her baby and her husband and had gave birth and that whole trauma, they say, go to the left again. And... um Of course, it could have just been geography, but I think it's really cool because they go to the left and she has to face the emotions. And so even though they were physically escaping on a route out of the BPO, Riley and Will, if we think of the savior victim mentality that started in his childhood with Sarah, they're escaping their past. They're escaping their emotional burden that's kept them from loving each other, from showing up fully in life, for doing whatever it is they have to do. So they turn and that escape route is through the emotional side. It's through the emotions. And you don't start out a whole series on limbic residence if you aren't trying to put a message to the world that our way out is through emotions. It is through opening up and experiencing and allowing ourselves to navigate and bring that side of ourselves into balance, in my opinion. (laughs) Excellent observation, Sheila. So either I'm like right on target with the writers or I'm like making them out to be way more than they are. (laughs) Either way, I think it's all the same. I think... That's just awesome. It's art. I think when you can it's t- art, exactly. It however you want. Well, you can ter- interpret it however you want, and it's art, and art is layered, and art is something sometimes more than what we even create. Like I know, I've said it before. I go back and read my book because I can learn from it, and I wrote the thing. So, um, yeah, like it doesn't and art matter. Made public is love, right? Art. Did I hear that along the way? Uh, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So the other thing that happens during that, which um, I thought was really cool, in in playing with timelines and for me, in the conscious meditation technique, we're learning to move our attention through different frequencies and different realms of consciousness. So when they turn the corner... Um, and they're driving along and they are having um, flashbacks of childhood and they're reliving, especially Riley's reliving her childhood. Angelica's there. We don't know why. She yeah, that made, was like, weird. 
maybe to help create that. I, I don't know what that, that one is about. But we got all these flashbacks that they're having, and they're and. And Will is now pregnant, like he's sharing her body. He looks down, and he's like, what the fuck? I'm, you know, he's, he's like nine and a half months pregnant. And while that's going on, while they're literally or figuratively experiencing a different timeline or a different part of this timeline, or maybe both, Nomi says, I can't reach either one of them. They were there heading towards the mountains. Now they're gone. And so I think that it didn't have to do, it, it was an unnecessary line for the plot, really. It, it's a note to us of, of realms of consciousness and my, that's how I take it. I think it's great. I think this uh, show can go in a lot of directions with timelines. Oh yeah. There's... And many other cool things. So I, I could see this um, being purposeful. Yeah. Right, with timing. Yeah. And and I think that I really do believe that Lana and the writers have a consciousness um, that they're trying to bring forward and understanding. Even if we go back to Ethan talking about when Lana's talking to some of the other people, he's like, I can't even I can't even understand what they're talking about. But all that's incorporated and the uh, conscious brainwashing that we're allowing, reprogramming, redownloading of information, those little things that we don't even have to notice, our brain will pick up on those and it will start to create the story. It will start to figure it out because that's how our brain works. So even if we didn't point that out, it does its magic, which is so cool. Yep. Because when you have those little, like it, the line just didn't like, why? There's certain things like, for example, Angelica popping up. You really have to sit back and think, why did they put that in there? Like, I got to figure this out. Right. right? I don't know that. So it leaves this pause. And that's one of those really curious lines of how do you lose the connection from your sense eight buddies? Right. Right. Because they drove into some fog or because that's not the case. So you got to, you got to, it makes you pause and think about. We might not have the answers. Maybe they right. don't have the answers. The writers probably did. Right. But I'm just saying, it makes you stop and think about those moments. Like, hey, it's it brings that pause. Right. You got to think. Yeah. Cool. So we have one more clip to look at. All right. And this to. is as the escape, not escape. <laughs> the breakthrough. Here we go. I can't, I can't leave her. Please. I'm so sorry, Will. I can't. I know how much it hurts. I know you want to lay down here and never get up again. I know it because I feel it. Somehow, somewhere, you can feel what I'm feeling too.
love conquers all. Love conquers all. And I think, you know, that's just, it, it is, it's, it's more than that. It's also empathy. It's that limbic resonance again. It's that when you can't do it yourself, allow someone else's feelings and love, right? So we can support each other. And, and if she didn't have it within her, she does have it within her because Will does that's a twin flame thing that's a cluster thing but it's a humanity thing because beyond clusters beyond the connectedness of deep soul connection um there's oneness and we are all one all of humanity is a cluster so somewhere in the world there is someone that has the exact strength, the emotional well-being, the ability to move forward that you may feel like you're lacking. Whether you reach out to that person in the physical or in the emotional, when you allow that in, you find the strength because as a humanity and in a space of oneness, we can share strength. We can. I mean, just to bring it down to a practical everyday level, you know, Mr. James Motlow, he was such an adventurer when we were together. Right. And so his, his sense of wonder was contagious. And, you know, we've all heard the interview with Paula Gola and we know his positivity is contagious. So whatever, whatever strength you're feeling at the time, right. You, you project out and people are, it is contagious, whether it's positive or negative. Well, that's right? what I was thinking. I think I just want to jump on that real quick, because sometimes we say these cool concepts, and if we don't take them just a little bit further, we end up causing more pain with it. So yes, positive or negative. Remember, Wolfgang being able to t- drive that car into the helicopter was positive, even though he may see that as an attribute of himself that he doesn't like. So try not to beat yourself up about only feeling the good stuff or that if you, if you have something that you may not think is healthy, that you may harm somebody because of it. So to me, it's about going in and finding what's in you and knowing what's in you and doing your best like Riley and Wolfgang did in very different ways. And even even Will being able to uh, find it in him to drug himself and take that path and risk it all, you know, whatever that is inside of yourself um, try not to say I have to suppress it because it may hurt somebody else, but rather go in, find it, feel it, use it, and allow that to then, in its healthy way, be used by other people. That's what I would want to say. You did say that. Awesome. Very cool. All right, everyone. I think that is it for this episode. We are basking in the wonder of its brilliance once again and enjoying our time with you all right thank you very much if you want to contact us with any questions or comments you know at live underscore sense eight is our twitter handle you can email us at team at live sense eight dot com we have a big shout out to Miss Sarah Applegate, the editor of the podcast. Thank, thank you very, 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 very much for engaging with us on social media and all the sharing and shout outs and representation that you give us. Thank you very much for spending your time here with us today on the podcast. And until next time, stay connected. <laughs>